Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 60 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is your host, Adam. I'm alone by myself once more. Jill is still in Boston and Salem having what I assume is a great time while she is meeting with a number of our library partners. So she will be back next week, so flying solo on this introduction for you. Today's episode is an interview I did with David Levithan. He was in town doing an author event at our local library, Cuyahoga County Public Library. And while he was there, I had a chance to sit down and chat with him a little bit about a whole number of things. Uh, We discussed his writing process, whether it's the books that he's written on his own, the books that he's written with other people, so kind of going through that, uh, breaking down the difference between writing an entire story on your own and needing to rely on someone else to share that story with you. He also has a really unique Valentine's Day tradition that I'm excited for you guys to hear about if you aren't aware. Because he is a New York City author, we of course talked about some Broadway things. Uh, I got very jealous when he told me that he has seen the one thing that I would always want to see, and no, it's not Hamilton, so you can save the snarkiness uh, for your tweets for some other time. We also talked about the importance of voting with the election coming up and some of the things that he's doing where he's involved with that. Uh, And then we talked about how when he was in high school, he was a library assistant, and that kind of introduced him to the culture of books and, and led him to living his entire adult professional life in the literary world. So I think you'll really enjoy this. David was uh, a lot of fun to chat with. One of those people where the first second you meet him, you instantly know that you're going to hit it off really well and have a great conversation. So that was exciting for me, and I think you guys will enjoy it as well. If you want to reach out to us, you can, of course, always email feedback at overdrive.com. Let us know your thoughts. If you're interested in Uh, sharing the books that you've been reading, if you're looking for recommendations, if there's any types of episodes that you'd like to hear that you're not, just let us know. You can also find us on Twitter and Pinterest and Facebook. And if you go to overdrive.com, you'll see a number of different reading recommendation lists, including our professional book nerds reading list, and that's updated every single week. And you'll also see uh, a number of other really great lists that we create uh, every single week, whether it's for the top books for fall Uh, Joe made a Westworld reading list recently that we talked about. There's some books with surprise endings and twists and things like that. So whatever you're looking for, we've got it on overdrive.com. If there is anything else, I'm not used to doing this on my own. I'm usually asking Jill if she has anything else she'd like to say. Anyway, uh, I'm going to let you guys get to this interview with David Levithan. I think you're really going to enjoy it uh, and enjoy this episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Adam from Team Overdrive, and today I'm joined by David Levithan, author of The Lover's Dictionary, the New York Times bestselling Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist with Rachel Cohn, 
Will Grayson, Will Grayson, and numerous other acclaimed young adult novels. David is also an editorial director at Scholastic and the founding editor of Push, a young adult imprint of Scholastic Press focusing on finding new voices and new authors. His latest book, You Know Me Well, written with Nina LaCour, is now available. David, thank you so much for joining us today. That is a lot. <laughs> it is a lot, but, but a lot of time I share, so at least, at least I'm that's only writing a, half a book. That's right? a really good point. All right. So you have spent your entire professional career in the literary world. Uh, you know, first you were an editor, and then an author, and, and both. What made you kind of decide to take the dive into actually becoming a writer while you were editing other people's work? I mean, it's a funny question, actually. Um, because it, it, I didn't intend to do it, but um, I had a story idea for a, a like a paperback middle grade series mm-hmm. called Disaster Zone. It was basically two brothers, like who one of them had premonitions that a natural disaster was going to hit, and they had to like rush to save people. Mm-hmm. Basically, real high concept. Um, <laughs> and as an editor, I kept looking for an author, and just the authors kept falling through. And mm-hmm. it was my then boss, Craig Walker finally just was like well why don't you try writing it Mm -hmm. which is like verboten like when you're an editor you're not supposed to like come out as an author (laughs) at all you're supposed to sort of do it in secret and then when you've written a book let the let your boss know like hey guess what I wrote a book but he actually suggested it so so I did that and from that I wrote two books of that and then I wrote some movie novelizations and tie-ins um and then went from there and then Boy Meets Boy my first serious novel Mm -hmm. um not to demean disaster oh, zone. Of but, course, of course. Um, but that started just as a story that I was writing for my friends for Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. and it got longer and longer and longer, and then suddenly I was like, oh, I'm writing the YA novel that I want to find as an editor. I'm actually writing. Right. Um, and so then I, I, a friend of mine at Random House gave it to a friend of hers, and it got published. So, mm-hmm. so it, it was not... I didn't go into editing thinking, oh, and one day I'm going to be an author. It just right. sort of happened, and I went with it. All right, and there's, there's two things I want to pull out of that. One is right. from your website that I noticed. You write something every Valentine's Day for your friends. Is that true? Yes. So when did that start? That's such a, a unique idea. I've never seen anything like that. So we're, how did that come about? I'm just curious. I mean, it, it, it is the least romantic story, um, but <laughs> as befits Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, it started genuinely... Um, I was extraordinarily bored in my physics class, mm-hmm. my junior year of high school. Um, I took physics because my friends were taking it. I could not have been less interested in it. So mm-hmm. I just started flipping through my textbook looking for puns for romance, yeah. like opposites attracting, polarization, <laughs> magnetism. And so I would just jot them in my notebook and I was like, what do I do with all this? And I thought, oh, I will write, I'll write a short story. And, mm-hmm. and Valentine's Day was coming up. I was like, oh, I'll... I'll I don't really like Valentine's Day. I certainly don't want to like support the carnation sale. Of course. So, so I'll just write it and give it to my friends. And won't that be fun? Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. Um, and then the next year, they were like January came along, and they were like, "Oh, we can't wait for our Valentine's story." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, it wasn't supposed to be a <laughs> yearly thing." Right. Um, but peer pressure can be a very beautiful thing um, when when taken to the right ends. And so, yeah, so every year since then, I've written a story. And, and again, as with Boy Meets Boy, some of them I genuinely thought were a short story. And then mm-hmm. the more I wrote, the more I was like, oh, this is a novel. Yeah. So my friends got a novel that year. That's fantastic. And so with Boy Meets Boy, I really loved, again, on your website, you have this wonderful description, and, and you kind of mentioned it before. It's the book that you were hoping to get as an editor, and you, you kind of mentioned uh, in your bio about how it's about a gay teenager, but it's not a normal stereotype that you see in a lot of 
literary worlds and, and how it's depicted. And I've been really fortunate to talk to a number of uh, We Need Diverse Books authors, mm-hmm. huge proponents of it. And almost universally, they all say the important thing to them is to make sure they're writing books that allow young readers to see themselves mm-hmm. in the stories. Is that kind of along the same lines of what you were thinking is enabling people to see themselves? Or I guess just what are your thoughts on that whole like We Need Diverse Books movement and just... As an author, I'm sure you can say things better than I could. No, no, I mean, the, well, there, there are a lot of things to say in response to that. I mean, sure. I mean, for Boy Meets Boy specifically, it was that that most, with some notable exceptions, but most gay teens in YA fiction mm-hmm. were just miserable. Yeah. I mean, they, they were just, if if anybody found out that they were gay, it would be the end of the world. Right. And, and in some of the books, it wasn't the end of the world, but it might as well have been. Mm-hmm. Like, the, 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 the grace that was given to them at the end was like, oh, well... You're always going to be an outsider, but here we found two other outsiders for you to be with. <laughs> right, and there was just no sense of of it being normal or of it just being romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so basically, I wanted to just create a romantic comedy, just like a dippy, happy romantic comedy right. with two boys instead of a boy and a girl. And that shouldn't have been radical, but at the time <laughs> okay. it, it was in 2003 when it was published. And and luckily for me there were other authors who were sort of just as fed up Mm -hmm. and we all had books published within a year. We wrote them not knowing that the other people were writing them, but then they all came out at the same time Mm -hmm. and that changed things, which was great. For my, for Boeing's Way specifically, it's interesting because there were books like Geography Club, Rainbow Boys that reflected reality and and sort of said, here's your life, we're going to show it to you Mm -hmm. and it's legitimate. Yeah. Um, Boy Meets Boy is more fantastical than that mm-hmm. and, and my thing was more like I'm going to show you how the world could be mm-hmm. like it, 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 the, the, not just it gets better but it, the here is what better looks like mm-hmm. um, and that was fun too um, sure. and I think that books can do that as well that it's not just about showing the world as it is but also showing the world as it could be mm-hmm. um, and I think that the We Need Diverse Books movement is fantastic because again it's just saying that all of these voices and all of these visions of both what is and what should be should be represented. Mm-hmm. And then, and not to jump around too much, I'm horrible right. with linear That's conversations. Right. <laughs> so, um, for people who might not be aware, would you mind telling us just a little bit about your latest novel, "You Know Me Well"? Yes, "You Know Me Well" um, is a collaboration with Nina Lacour, mm-hmm. um, and I've written a bunch of collaborations before: Rachel Cohn, John Green, Andrew Kramer. Um, this one was the first that there was a specific sort of concept that we wanted to do, which was we wanted a he said, she said, back and forth, but with a lesbian girl and a gay boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so take the most most conventional romantic comedy setup. Sure. But then if it's a lesbian and a gay, like, teenager, they're not going to fall in love. Right. This isn't that kind of book. And so what the question was, what would it then become? And it becomes about friendship. It becomes about them helping each other with their individual romantic mm-hmm. fo- foibles. And so it is about um, two kids. Um, my character is a guy named Mark who has been fooling around with his best friend Ryan um, and is desperately in love with him. Mm-hmm. And Ryan is like, nope, we're not boyfriends, we're not dating, this is just, this is not a thing. Right. And so it's about him over the course of a week having to figure out that relationship. And Nina's character, Kate, is a girl who is massively in love with a girl she hasn't met yet. Mm-hmm. It's her best friend's cousin who's been living in Europe. And she flies into San Francisco where they live, and they're supposed to meet, and she freaks out and bolts in the other direction. 
and happens to stumble upon a gay bar where, for reasons that you'll have to read the book to find out, Mark is dancing in his underwear on top of the bar. <laughs> um, and so they spot each other. They don't really know each other. They go to the same school, but they immediately become friends, and it's mm-hmm. about navigating that week together and these two different romantic foibles together. Okay, and so the part that blows my mind about this book, and as you mentioned, a few others that you've written, writing a book in and of itself has to be hard enough, but writing a book with someone else or you're putting your trust in them, I, that is so fascinating to me. And I'll be honest, while I was imagining this, I, I just want, I'm curious about the process. So you're writing back and forth chapters. Mm. Is this something where you're kind of emailing each other back and forth? Because in my mind, it's almost like when you first start dating someone, you mm-hmm. get that like butterflies, <laughs> you're like, I wonder what they're going to say. Like, what is that like, right, back and forth? Do you have an idea of where her story is going to go? Are you writing two separate stories and kind of mashing them together? I, this fascinates me. No, I mean, it's, it's a single story, and we have no... We don't plan it out ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, with this, with You Know Me Well, for example, it was like, okay, we know it's a gay boy, a lesbian girl in San Francisco during Pride Week. And that was it. Yeah. That was the whole plot. That as we knew it, and so I didn't know who her character would be, she didn't know who mine. I wrote the first chapter, emailed it to her, she read it, wrote her second chapter, emailed back to me, and we didn't talk about it. Um, and it's, it's, I would say it is the closest you can come to actually living your story alongside your characters, because they have no idea what's going to happen next, and you, right. the author, have no idea. And so what you said is true, it's a total trust exercise. Yeah. You, have to, you have to hope that the other person is going to be on your wavelength and will read the things you put in there and, and will take out and won't betray your characters too badly. Um, and I've been very lucky because that that really has never happened right. with the people that I've written with. I mean, Rachel Cohn and I, I mean, the book that's coming out next month, The Twelve Days of Dash and Lily, is our fourth book together. Uh-huh. We're now writing our fifth book together. We, we certainly almost can read each other's minds mm-hmm. at this point. But we do say you can call a do-over. If you get a chapter and you're like, ah, what, what did you just give me? Yeah. You can sort of be like, hey, okay. um, maybe we shouldn't. Um, but we've only done that, depending on who asks, either twice or three times <laughs> over the course of four and a half books. So, so that's a pretty good ratio. I would say that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, but it's, I like it because we are still in charge of our own chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't understand. I edit Holly Black and Cassandra Clare do a series called Magisterium. Mm-hmm. And they will just, they can sit at the computer together and finish each other's sentences. Right. And that would just, I don't want somebody else in the room when I'm writing. Yeah. Um, so it's just a different way of writing. Um, but yeah. for me, it's, it's that mix of collaborative and solitary. I think I agree with you. If I was mm-hmm. going to write with someone... I, I could still imagine, like, I, my brother actually works at Overdrive with me, and, and mm-hmm. growing up, we were close enough where, like, I would be, like, writing a story or a paper, and he would kind of be lo- looking over my shoulder, and you're right, that was always the word. I'd rather have him look at it afterwards, and right. here are your changes, but I, again, that's just putting that trust into someone else. As you mentioned, now that you're in your third, fourth, fifth books, makes a little sense, but that first one, right. such a leap of faith, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, so do you have a preference? Do you like writing your own story in full do you like collaborating if if you had your druthers would there be one way you would write a book a lot of people tend to stick in their Mm -hmm. lane and that's what they that's how they write that's their writing process yeah i i've never stuck in my lane um (laughs) no i mean i think the 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 answer is both like i think Mm -hmm. definitely writing with somebody else is more fun Mm -hmm. i mean because it is a shared experience and it's both the fact that you're sharing it and creating it there is that unexpected um 
thing. Um, and also then when you're touring and when you're talking about the book, you have you have a traveling companion right. riding shotgun with you. So that's more fun. Yeah, um, but there are some books that, that you, you don't want to share them. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly the more personal books are the ones where I, I sort of have it all in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to share those. So, <laughs> so usually I go back and forth. Um, it's not... It's not as solid a pattern as like write a solo book, write a collaboration. Sure. But, um, but I get to do both, which is really fun. Right. Okay. So, take us through. I don't even want to call it a typical day because we were joking before we started recording. Right. You don't really have a typical day, but for you, what is a day in the life of David Levithan like? How do you know what you're doing from day to day if you're editing someone else's book and writing at the same time? I guess what's your process like? I mean, yeah, we're talking about this year. It would start with me getting on a plane. Um, but no, but, but just in general, I mean, there are two different answers to that question because I don't work and edit and write on the same day. Ever. Sure. I mean, like, I, I can think of only a handful of occasions where I have either gotten up early to write before I go to work or have gone to work and then gotten home and been like, oh, I'm going to work. Like, yeah. usually, if I've been spending the whole day dealing with other people's words, the last thing I want to do, like, even reading a magazine, I'm like, oh, God, more yeah. words. No, stop. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, so, so typical day during the week is, is I mean, again, uh, me getting up and going to Scholastic. Mm-hmm. Um, most days there are lots of meetings, um, and... Because the editor really is the the person who not just works with the author on the books, but also works with the art department on the covers and works with the marketing and publicity and sales on all the right. stuff that they do. And so you you really have to step back and look at the overview of the book at all of its different stages. Mm-hmm. Um, so people always think that I go to work and I just sit there with my pencil and, and get to edit. But no, it's not quite that. Um, sometimes it's that. Um, and then it is, it's emailing and talking to the authors and some authors basically send me a book when they're done and mm-hmm. they're like, all right, here it is, edit it. Other authors, they will send me the idea, then they'll send me the outline, then mm-hmm. they'll send me the first two chapters to take a look, then the next two chapters. So it's a different conversation with each author I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the day ends and I usually go out to dinner and go see a show, whether it's a concert or a play. Um, and then get home thoroughly exhausted and unable to write um, <laughs> at about 11.30 or midnight and then start all over again. And then on weekends when I'm writing, I am pretty much a morning writer that mm-hmm. I'll wake up, I'll take a shower to wake myself up, get some coffee, and then I will just start. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will keep going until I've run out of story. Um, mm-hmm. And there are definitely procrastination breaks. I usually write in my apartment, so mm-hmm. there's definitely... My apartment is never so clean as when I'm trying to write. Because I'm course. like, oh, I could, I could work on this paragraph. Or, oh, oh look, look, the couch needs to be cleaned <laughs> up. Um, or, oh, I'll just go to the refrigerator now. Um, but, but I just basically... I do get into the writing zone. And, mm-hmm. and um, I just try to stay there as long as I can. Sure. So because you're on both sides of you know, the process, both writing and editing. And you mentioned as an editor, you, there's a, a lot you're involved in with helping decide covers and publicity. When you're writing your stories and having someone else edit them, mm-hmm. is it hard for you to not kind of butt and be like, actually, I, I have thoughts on, you know, the cover images, the publicity. Like, mm-hmm. Do you try to keep yourself separated or do you allow yourself to use your expertise and say, actually, this might work better? I mean, I think it's it's sort of another split decision. When it comes to the actual book and the editing of the book, I 
I recognize that I am as able to edit my own work as a surgeon is able to perform surgery on himself. himself like, sure. only, only an extreme emergency <laughs> should it be attempted. And I, I have worked with the same editor for most of my books, Nancy Hinkle, and I trust her much more than I trust myself sure. to be able to read, read it and give me feedback. So I don't think I, don't think I have any expertise when mm-hmm. it comes to the actual editing. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly can see it as a writer, but seeing it as an editor... I think I'd be deluded to think, oh, well, now I'll just step back and read it as an editor. It's like, no, you were there when it was created. You Mm -hmm. can't do that. However, I mean, certainly the other stuff certainly covers I am not hesitant to give my opinions on. Um, But I also also understand all of the different variables that go into getting a cover approved. Mm -hmm. Um, So hopefully that makes me more understanding. Yeah. Um, but but definitely there are times where I talk to author friends and they're like, what? You said what to them? Like, well, no, no, but because I do. I mean, I have been doing this for over 20 years now, mm-hmm. so hopefully I know something. Yeah. And this is nothing to do with anything we've been talking about, but you mentioned right, going to see on. a show and you live in yes. New York City. So do you have a favorite? I'm a Broadway nerd, so do you have okay. a favorite, favorite play or musical? It could even be just from like this year if you've seen somebody that you can't really remember. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, this year... I would say, well, this, the singular best thing I have seen is Cynthia Erva's performance in The Color Purple. Okay. I've now seen it four times. Oh, wow. um, and the show is good, but her performance is easily in my top five I've mm-hmm. ever seen. It's mm-hmm. just, it's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also really loved Waitress. The, the Sarah yeah. Bareilles musical is just, it's a very feel-good, mm-hmm. really great music. And so I've gone to, back to see that probably three times now. Mm-hmm. So... So are there any um, are there any shows that or performances that you wish you could have seen that you haven't or haven't yet? Oh my goodness, that's a good one. Um, I only ask because I always have one in reserve. That for me, I, I wish I could have seen Alan Cumming in Cabaret. Oh, okay. For me personally, that's uh, one I like. He's actually coming here to Cleveland. Oh, really? But that's one of those things where I would, that would be the one person doing one. It was pretty incredible, I have to say. You got, oh, I and I got to it. see it both generations. I was going to say, I should have even brought that up. I, I had a feeling you were going to yeah, say I that. I saw the Natasha Richardson and then, and then saw it later with Michelle Williams, um, which was weird to see the same actor in the same I, role but I, 10 years apart. Right. But he was, he's pretty much as close to ageless as you get. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I so will just basically give up anything to go see shows. Mm-hmm. So it's like I yeah. feel that I've I've covered most of the bases sure. as far as as things have been in the past few years. But I am always jealous. I mean, mostly it would it would be just the the original cast of the Sondheims. And yeah, like, it's just like seeing. I can't imagine walking into Company or Follies oh, for God. the first time. Yeah, and just sort of seeing that must have been incredible. Yeah, okay, this was. Related to nothing is anytime I get yeah. a chance to talk to someone, an author who lives in New York City, almost without fail, everyone is a Broadway fan, which I adore, right. and then I just want to pick your brain. So, getting back to the things I should right. be talking about. No, no, no. Um, again, I mentioned this at the, the beginning, but you founded Push. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe give us a little bit of reason, or maybe what was the inspiration behind that, or just how that came to light for you? I mean, it's, it's, it's so strange to say now because we're in such a golden age, but it, it started probably 16, 17 years ago. We were sort of saying at Scholastic, like, oh, YA is really quiet. Like, mm-hmm. are people reading the same word? If we want to publish YA, what should we do and, and what approach should we take? And, right. and I sort of came up with all these options. And, and the most radical one, which I was very happy that they chose, was, was like, oh, why don't we try to find new writers. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't we have an imprint that is all first-time writers and not just... 
rely upon agents to submit things, although they're very good at finding talent. Sure. But, but just like, just scour everywhere we conceive with for writers and to try to find these new voices. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly what we did. Like, we've now, again, for over 15 years been publishing new voices. And it, it was, like, one of my favorite books I've ever edited was a book called Born Confused mm-hmm. by Tanisha Desai Hidier. And I found her because she was the lead singer in a band where my friend was playing the electric violin. That's amazing. Um, and just, like, we were talking, like, two in the morning after one of the gigs, and yeah. she was saying, oh, I really want to write about, like, the South Asian American community mm-hmm. from a team point of view. It was like, yes, do yeah, it. do that. Um, um, and most recently, um, we published Jeffrey Self's Drag Teen. And, mm-hmm. and, again, it's just he's this really great – people know him from YouTube, and he was on 30 Rock, but, but he has this great YA voice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, please write a novel. And yeah. he did. That's fantastic. Um, so you wear a lot of hats and you have a lot of your plates and a lot of your plate, any cliche you want to use. <laughs> of all the things you've done, whether it's finding other authors, writing books, collaborating, what, what do you think the one thing, if you had to nail it down, what makes you most proud? Oh, God. I know, I'm sorry. I mean, I mean the, the, the honest answer is it all seems so related that mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard to pull out, but... I mean, I think for me personally, I mean, I think it is that, like, it was the change in, in LGBT mm-hmm. plus fiction for, for YA and, and being able to to create that change both as an author and as an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Boy Meets Boy was the right book at the right time. Yeah. And, and again, there, there have been many really great books that were after it. There were a few that were before it. Sure. All of them could have been if they had just happened to be in 2003, but mm-hmm. mine just happened to be the one. And so that's really edifying. And it's, and it's edifying now to see a lot of other writers were inspired by it. Um, it's certainly, I am getting used to the fact that like, I will be talking to like, somebody who's 30 who'll be like, oh, I read it when I was in like ninth grade. Right. Like, oh my yeah. God. Uh-huh. <laughs> let, me, let me do the math. Oh, that hurts. <laughs> but but that's, that's really cool. I mean, mm-hmm. I... I was very, very lucky because my, my first assignment at Scholastic, and, and which I still am her editor at Scholastic, was with Anne Martin at the Babysitter's Club. Uh-huh. And so just seeing the effect that those books had and now seeing that there is truly this entire generation of writers and artists that grew up on the Babysitter's Club, right. it's, it's kind of fun to see that and then see sort of my YA and my YA peers, mm-hmm. um, we're starting to get that recognition yeah. too. Okay, and as someone who does get a chance to speak with fans a lot and interact with uh, aspiring writers, I- I'm sure you get the question all the time, one of those, where your ideas come from <laughs> version of a question. And from what I can tell, in looking at all the books you've written and the different ways you've written them, for, it seems like you're of the ilk that an idea can come from anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. like We joked about you write a, a story every Valentine's Day and you have these collaborations and I've seen... I think you wrote a book or are working on a book on kind of a dare from when you had a, someone about, I want to say, like a... Oh, Invisibility? Yeah, yeah. 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 So what advice would you give to aspiring writers? Is it just kind of like keep an open mind? A story can come from anywhere, I guess. What would you tell people who are curious where you get your ideas from, quote unquote? I mean, I think I, I always tell aspiring writers, yeah, to just like go for it. Like mm-hmm. don't don't tell yourself no, just try it. Yeah. Don't be afraid to fail. Like mm-hmm. I think... Because I think most of the books that I'm proudest of really intimidated me at first. Mm-hmm. And, and 
I'm definitely at the point where I'm like, oh, that's a good sign. If yeah. it's intimidating me, that must mean it's the one that I, I should write. Right. Um, so I, I totally, I believe in that, that, that there, not that there are no bad ideas, there are plenty of bad ideas, <laughs> but, but you can tell, like you, you start and either something will click or it won't. And mm-hmm. if it does click, you're great. And if it doesn't, then you try to find the next one that does, mm-hmm. um, and to keep going with that. And I think also, like I would say my, my greatest lesson, which was so pre NaNoWriMo, pre sort of where we are as far as writing culture uh-huh. is, I mean, going back to Boy Meets Boy, like, it did start as a short story for my friends. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that so often I talk to teenagers now who are like, oh, I'm going to write my first novel, or I'm working on my first novel, and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, no, no, that's... If you, you set that bar, that's a really high bar. Right. Like, just tell a story. Don't think about whether it's a novel. Don't think about will it be published. Just just write a story and see mm-hmm. where it goes. And I think we, we miss that now because people are too conscious of... of oh, I want to write my first novel. Yeah. Um, so you touched on NaNoWriMo, and, and another social movement that I've seen you involved in is with E. Lockhart and a few other of her, her friends, uh, the whole First Vote 16. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to get political. You can no, totally get please. political whichever way you want to go with this, but can you just maybe give people a little bit of information on this campaign because I think it's incredibly important. Well, I think, Emil, that it's... <laughs> Keeping it separate, because the, the first-time campaign is with Rock the Vote, which is a nonpartisan organization. Right. So, so really, we, through those videos, really just want to get voter turnout. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is us talking about the first time we voted as if it were other first times <laughs> of significance. Right. Um, I have not done mine yet, but it is definitely... I mean, it's definitely going to cause Mike Dukakis to blush. Let's just, <laughs> just say that. Um, so, so I think that that is the spirit, but there, there are other, I think what we are all very keyed into is I think there's always been a hesitation to be political, mm-hmm. um, as if by being a writer, especially a writer for children, um, you're not supposed to muddy the waters by right. having an opinion, but it, things are way too important right now mm-hmm. for us not to show our opinions. So, so we're, we're talking the day before, um, the day that we're doing the YA for Hillary mm-hmm. campaign. So a lot of authors are going to be talking about explicitly on their social media why they're voting for Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton. Um, again, with the, the idea that, you know what, if we can engage some readers, um, and again, for me, it is as much, much the people who are thinking about not voting or voting for third-party candidates mm-hmm. as much as it is. I don't, I genuinely don't believe that the Venn diagram of my readers and Donald Trump voters, like there's no intersection yeah, they're whatsoever. Yeah, two separate, like, two separate circles. Yeah, I think it's just two other worlds. It's, um, but I do think just talking to kids who are Bernie supporters mm-hmm. and just sort of why, why this person that they were so against when she was running against Bernie, why now they really actually need to vote for her mm-hmm. um, because the stakes are too high. And again, I think we totally can do that as any artist can Mm -hmm. so we will yeah and the idea you touch on something the idea that a writer or any artist is expected to perform their craft without having an opinion always kind of blew my mind because you spend all day having opinions you just happen to be writing them into a story that you know people enjoy so of course you have opinions on, on all other aspects of life and I really appreciate when people like yourself and E and everyone is putting themselves out there just a little bit and saying, like, here's why it's important. So I thank you. I stand with you guys. I'll just yeah. leave it at that as a person who yeah. 
It's probably supposed to stay down the middle, but I don't, so that's okay. Um, so we're sitting in a library right now, and Overdrive is a library company. Um, do you have any thoughts or any maybe first memories, anything about libraries you remember finally either as a kid or just anything in general, just some thoughts on the importance of them? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, the... The, the the great the the YA novel that I've yet to write but someday someday will is that my my job in high school was in the library mm-hmm. like I I worked all I we had a we had a ten to twelve high school when I was in high school and all three years I worked in the the library mm-hmm. and was the library assistant with the four librarians right. and it just if any anything was w- waiting to be a sitcom it was the four of them and me uh-huh. um, and. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. It was, it was not only because I could order at a discount any book that I wanted, <laughs> um, but, but just, just the culture of books and, mm-hmm. and being excited when like the Publishers Weekly came in right. every week. I was like, oh my God, more books, they're coming. <laughs> um, and being able to talk books and just, it was, it was central to who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always tell the story that, that, um, my introduction to gay fiction and just the world of gay writers it's my family would have totally let me read whatever I wanted to Mm -hmm. but just I didn't know what I was looking for but my high school library um, stocked the the novels and short stories of David Levitt Mm -hmm. Um, and one day through sheer ego of me being like hey his name is like mine (laughs) I'm gonna check him out maybe maybe I'll be as good as him one day um, That's amazing. No, had no idea. It was whatever, lost language of cranes. What the hell is that uh-huh. about? Um, and then I was like, holy, wow, this is this is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And and there were so many truths in there. That I was like, oh, I didn't realize that books could could do this. Yeah. And certainly, you can see a through line of my whole career from the books that I was exposed to mm-hmm. in that library for the three years that I was there. So, and from there to being a writer and you're this year's recipient of the Margaret A. Edwards Award, which honors uh, the significant and lasting contribution to writing for teens. I want to make sure I got that. I'm exactly glad you didn't quiz right. me because I don't think I would have been able I, to get the phrase right. I wanted right. to make sure that I got it right. Um, but do you have any thoughts just in general on what makes a book quote unquote meaningful for a teenager? I know again, that's kind of wide scoping. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think the connection, I mean, I always talk about when we started push, 14, 15, 16 years ago, we did a lot of focus groups and I went to a lot of high schools just to talk about reading and to sure. talk about what do you, what do you like the most mm-hmm. and just what genres, what everything. And the most interesting finding of all of the ones we had was when asked, like, what do you want out of a book? Mm-hmm. The word that came up the most was real. Yeah. And what was interesting is when you talked to them about it, it wasn't that they meant necessarily they wanted contemporary fiction about contemporary issues, they said they liked Harry Potter because it was real. Mm -hmm. And what they meant was that they wanted it to be emotionally truthful. That they needed to have something in there that they understood. Like, oh, yeah, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. Like, whether you are the boy stuck in the cupboard or whether you are dealing with whatever, any issue Mm -hmm. that high school brings. And that was really interesting to me. So I think that that, it is that connection, that, that belief that while you're in the world of the book, that it is the real world yeah. and that you can learn from it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they like. Nice. Certainly what I like. I would agree. Okay, I like to end all of our episodes with uh, nine kind of rapid fire questions. Just call them the, all right, just all call right. them the nerd nine. These are lighthearted, <laughs> much easier than the other questions I've asked you. Okay. Uh, so no, not a lot of thought on this. Just first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. What's the last book you read? 
Um, Burn Baby Burn by Meg Medina. Favorite place to read? Um, probably on the beach. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Um, I'll go with the no pleasure is really guilty, but definitely Avril Lavigne came to mind. Sure, that's amazing. Uh, one place you'd like to travel that you haven't yet been to? Iceland. Favorite holiday? Um, gosh. <laughs> that one always tricks, that always like stumps people. I know, because there's some people, like, I mean, I've written a Christmas book, but I'm Jewish. I don't, um, <laughs> I mean, the, the, I will just go with to say any holiday where my family gathers together. That's perfect. Uh, favorite movie? Um, your window. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite food? Pizza. If you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Judy Bloom. Oh, that's a good one. Fantastic. Okay, one last question for you. All right. What do you hope readers take away from reading any of your stories? Um, so many sarcastic answers just came to my mind. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think if you understand the world better, understand yourself better, or some combination of the two, that, that is awesome. That's perfect. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.